everybody and welcome to this very special Irish version of GUcast. I'm here at historic Killashee House, a beautiful hundreds and hundreds of years old classic house in County Kildare, about 45 minutes from Dublin. It's the venue for the annual scientific meeting of the Irish Society of Urology, my home country, of course, my home annual meeting. And I haven't actually been at this meeting for 21 years since I was a fresh-faced registrar training and presenting my very first abstracts. So I'm excited to be back here in my home country and showing you a little bit about Irish urology, which I hope you enjoy. And also just to indulge ourselves in some of the famous Irish urologists of the past. So let's hope you enjoy this very Irish GUcast. On the eve of the meeting, I got the opportunity to sit down with my old mate, David Boucher-Hayes, urologist at the Galway Clinic in the west of Ireland. Among his many interests, David is an expert in the history of Irish urology, and we chatted about some of the big personalities of Irish urology over the years, names that will be familiar to many of our listeners and viewers. So I've managed to track down one of my favourite Irish urologists, uh, my friend David Boucher-Hayes, here at the Irish Society of Urology meeting in beautiful, historic uh, Killashee House. Uh, Dave, uh, thanks for coming and speaking to us on GUcast again. You're a friend of the podcast, of course. I am. Great, uh, great supporter and great admirer. I haven't caught right up to date. I was going to listen to the bladder cancer uh, edition on the drive here, but I got waylaid with other, other things. But it's great to see you back in your home country uh, once again, it, but it's been too long. Uh, and great to have the Irish Society of Urology back after a gap of two years of face-to-face -face, uh, meetings. Uh, of course, this is a, uh, our own very special uh, society. It's not the biggest society in the world, but uh, I think anyone who's ever visited would say it is one of the most welcoming societies in the world. So we're looking forward to a really great meeting under the presidency of our great friend Kieran O'Malley, um, <coughs> who obviously will be listed in the pantheon of great Irish urologists in the future, uh, but it'll be great to see all the academic progress of all our young urologists who will all be presenting over the next two days, uh, but also to catch up with everyone because really we've all been living separate existences much like everyone has for the last couple of years. And that's what I, I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to ask you about famous Irish urologist. So uh, this is a bit of a self-indulgent GU cast. I'm going to be wallowing in Irishness. So apologies to all of you who have too much Irishness in your lives already. But um, I did want to ask you, David, about, you know, some famous Irish urologists, because it caught my eye recently that there was a, a great anniversary celebration of one of the, the great pioneers of Irish urology. And I know that you have a lot of interest in the, the history of Irish urology. So can I, can I ask you to tell me about some of your famous Irish urologist. Sure, absolutely. And the, the meeting to which you refer to is uh, the Sir Peter Frere meeting. And uh, Sir Peter Frere was a, a native of Galway, which is where I work. He, he grew up in Connemara, uh, very close to Paddy O'Malley's hometown. And Paddy was able to show us a wonderful demonstration of how himself and Kieran, not Paddy's hometown, but where his forebearers came from, uh, where they all basically grew up uh, within about five to 10 miles of each other. And probably um, there was some consanguination, uh, intermarriage between these great urological families. But uh, Frere was a, an extraordinary man. Uh, when he was born, of course, Ireland was part of the United Kingdom. 
So he joined uh, the British Army, or specifically the Indian Army, and he was a, a doctor and uh, was in India for most of his practicing life, um, having come through uh, what was then known as Queen's College, I believe, which is now uh, uh, Galway University, or the University of Galway, to give it its, its new name. Uh, but whilst he was there, he developed many different techniques for treatment of uh, urological issues, including bladder stones. And it is said that he uh, removed the bladder stone, large bladder stone, which were major problems in the late 1800s, early 1900s, from a Maharaja who rewarded him with £10,000 worth of jewels, uh, which the British Army, uh, which is worth about £1.5 uh, in today's money, uh, so the British Army uh, immediately uh, took that from him and uh, took it away. But Freyre, of course, uh, popularised the transvesical uh, prostatectomy and enucleation for uh, benign prostatic obstruction caused by benign disease. And uh, had a, you know, we had a lovely uh, uh, treatise from uh, various people about his life, including Killian Walsh, who went through uh, wonderful uh, moments of his backstory. But to be an Irishman who then goes to from the west of Ireland, which at that stage in the late 1800s when he was growing up was still ravaged by the, uh, the effects of the uh, Great Irish Famine, um, which was uh, devastating to the country of Ireland. We lost nearly half of our population in a four to five year period. But to go from the west of Ireland, which was still very, very uh, rural and uh, underdeveloped, to go to the heat and uh, intrigue of the, the Indian Army or the British Army in India must have been quite an experience for him. So he was one of the great world great prostatectomists. And it, it interests me now that, indeed, we're, you and I are chairing a session tomorrow, and I do know that one of the videos will be uh, on a transvesical robotic prostatectomy, which is essentially a frere prostatectomy. prostatectomy. And I think with robotic surgery, I think we've gone back and away from the transcapsular prostatectomy to the transvesical because it's just it's just a more straightforward way of seeing the adenoma and delineating out if you are going to take on these simple prostatectomies for extremely large glands. I, I think that's very interesting because the frere itself as an approach to BPH fell out of popularity really I think for open surgery the the millen that we'll come and speak to was more popularized but it is amazing to see a renaissance with a transvesical yeah. approach people like docking the robot into the bladder and then enucleating from inside and that is a, essentially a frere prostatectomy. Yeah, absolutely and uh, I think it's interesting you know you and I we we've traveled to Australia and, and been overseas and indeed uh, uh, when we come to millen I'll, I'll mention something about that but I think we're always very determined that we name these as Frere and Millen's prostatectomies, whereas uh, overseas they talk about transvesical or a, a retropubic prostatectomy. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, there are many other great uh, Irish urologists that are named throughout the years. Uh, the one that I, I was reading up on recently, who's known as the, or was mentioned as the forgotten urologist, is Kenny Riles, who a number of instruments are named after uh, the meatal or urethr urethral dilator and also some lovely uh, retractors. And Kenny Riles, he, he received his fellowship from the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland in, to, in uh, 1900. He was about 35 at the time, if uh, my maths is correct. And he went on with his own money to set up the All Saints Hospital in London as a pure urological hospital. Very small and did only outpatients at first and then increased in size. Uh, but it was said that he never achieved uh, the head of urology position in a major academic hospital because he never took the fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons in England and he only had the one from Ireland. 
uh, but he was known as being a, a, a great operator and he was a mentor to Terence Millen and they worked side by side for quite a, a long period of time uh, when Millen uh, started to come up with uh, his own eponymous operation. Uh, so they were, they were quite close. His forefathers were, um, uh, or he was descended from uh, some of uh, Oliver Cromwell's people <laughs> who had settled in Ireland. Um, so I did find it interesting that someone who would have been considered to be a slight transplant into the country of Ireland, so to speak, and people from this part of the world will know how Cromwell is thought of uh, around here, uh, but that he uh, obviously held his Irishness uh, quite true to his heart and, uh, you know, uh, uh, never took the, uh, the, the FRCS, uh, but stood by his FRCSI. Uh, although he may not have passed the exam, who knows? But um, yes, yeah, so, so he was a—he's a very interesting character, and obviously one of some great personal wealth which he had accumulated. If he was going to go and benevolently set up this hospital uh, and employ people and look after the the, the more downtrodden of of um, of, of London, uh, and then I, I believe uh, All Saints went on to be incorporated into the Westminster Hospital. I think that's 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 the the way it went. And then, as mentioned, Terence Millen. Terence Millen is a, is a real favourite of mine for a number of reasons, and I, I've written a paper on him, and I put together an anthology of all of his published papers, which some of which are extraordinary. There's uh, one of using the vas deferens after a uh, prostatectomy um, to improve consonants. So you wrap it around uh, the urethra. Um, so it was, it was quite a, it was, it was basically a sling. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah, sling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so very interesting. But of course, Millen is best known for his eponymous uh, operation, which is a transcapsular or retropubic prostatectomy. And when published in the first, when he published the first 25 cases in The Lancet, the editorial was entitled Eureka. And Mr. Millen has uh, shown us a way to do this operation that we have not thought to be possible because the dorsal vein complex was a, a huge impediment. Uh, but interestingly, prior to that, and it was only in the 40s that he started going back to open surgery, but about 30% to 35% of his cases prior to that were actually endoscopic punch uh, prostatectomies. Uh, prostatectomies. And he had also been very involved in the development of resectoscopes and resectoscope loops, etc. And the big problems in those days were the loops were, were, were not durable enough and the diathermy wasn't good enough. So my understanding is that he moved back more towards open surgery for a number of reasons. He wasn't in the Second World War. Uh, I think he was a little old for it. Uh, he had this big practice in Queen's Gate where uh, subsequently we saw the, um, the Iranian embassy siege back in the late 70s when the SAS raided uh, through the windows, etc. And I believe that that's very close to where his uh, operating rooms were. Um, but in order to perform diathermy in those days, you needed valves. And um, I can't remember the name of the valves, but you, you can imagine them big, you know, yeah. big things with lights coming out of them, etc. And they were all being used up in the war and had been used up in the war. So he wasn't able to get the appropriate diathermy to progress that. But there was a lot of interest in, in, in uh, endoscopic surgery. But then he went back to performing this very neat open operation, which he could do in under five minutes. Uh, which was quite extraordinary. Now, the Australians would contend that it is the Harry Harris uh, operation and that Millen just put a couple of tweaks on it and popularised it. 
And he was a, a quite a good self-promoter. He was obviously a, great self, a very confident man. Played rugby for Trinity, and uh, they they played with an interesting arrangement, which the All Blacks also played with, where they ran with seven forwards and eight backs. And Millen was the captain of that team, I believe. And he played for Ireland once, scored two tries, and of course, in true Irish fashion, was dropped for the next match and uh, never played for them again. He went on after his public life. He moved back from London, having amassed a large amount of uh, wealth. And some of the reason he moved back, I believe, was super tax in, in the United Kingdom, whereas the, like the Beatles were being taxed at 90%, etc. And he seemed to be in that sort of bracket. So he moved back and he had another interest well ahead of his time again in organic farming and he ran various organic farms and has published quite extensively on that uh, and spoken on it, uh, which I was able to find in his papers. But as time went on, each of his farms got smaller and smaller and he kind of died in a, a, a what would you say, a shepherd's type of hut. Uh, on the farm in Wicklow from laryngeal cancer, which undoubtedly was brought about by his very strong smoking habit. And the portrait of him in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, which hangs, is uh, him with a cigarette in his hand. So that's not a, a snapshot, that's a portrait that he had to sit for, and he insisted that his uh, cigarette was in it. So anytime you see the portrait published on anything, that bit is cut out at, at the bottom. But um, there's another uh, anecdote about uh, Millen, uh, told to me by Mike Wallace and his father David worked with Terence Millen and he had come back from the war and he was a, a, a Pathé news reporter so he had a cine camera which were incredibly rare in 1946-47 so David Wallace went and worked with Millen and this was one of the reasons because Millen wanted his operation to be recorded and to distribute this film around so according to Michael uh, Wallace he said that his father told him that the patient on the way down to theatre had an event and died uh, at the beginning of anesthesia uh, before the first incision had been made and they'd spent a lot of time and a lot of money getting the camera in and much like here getting the lighting all set up etc and Millen said well I think we should go ahead anyway and just record it and so had an absolutely bloodless operation now that might be an apocryphal story and I wouldn't yes. like to taint his, his name but I do feel I have an also a very special family connection with uh, Terence Millen. There is an eponymous lecture named after him in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. And Seamus Smith, a uh, great urologist who I worked under in the Matter Hospital, John, John Fitzpatrick's colleague, uh, was the first person to give it. And then later on that year, my father, David Boucher Hayes Sr., uh, was the second person to give it. And they had to do it twice in one year because Millen was dying. And he only lasted a couple of months after. And he wasn't able to attend, but he wrote a letter to my father, which I have in my possession, which said that uh, he was so glad to see, uh, he, he heard that Mr. Boucher Hayes had done a very good job. And he was very proud to hear that. And it gave him a special pleasure as, um, to see that the, the son of his ex-classmate and great friend uh, had given the lecture named after him. So my grandfather was a classmate of Millen's and a, a friend of his. So that kind of brings it, it brings it home to me a little bit. He also went on to be uh, president of the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, which is my alma mater, and postgraduate, the postgraduate the governing board for surgery for an unprecedented two terms when they were in a great deal of financial crisis. And he brought the finances back on track and I suspect even put in some of his own money uh, to get uh, to get things back. So he was known as a very gregarious character, um, no lack of self-confidence, uh, extremely good operator, as they as they call them, and uh, but an innovator as well. I mean, he went 
you know, he, he did start with uh, endoscopic uh, surgery, which was uh, which was interesting. So those are those are kind of the big names of, uh, of of Irish urology that I think we know historically. They've they're fantastic stories and great to hear the link to your late father, the, the great uh, David Boucher Hayes uh, Senior, who of course is in the pantheon of great Irish surgeons of of, uh, of his era as well. Um, I remember him, of course, growing up as a young surgeon in Ireland. But moving forward to those more recent times, um, none of our listeners and viewers, of course, will have personally known people like Frere and Millen uh, to any great extent. But John Fitzpatrick is a name that many of our listeners and viewers will remember. Uh, and I know you worked very closely with uh, the late John Fitzpatrick as well. Can you tell us a little about him? Uh, John was a, a, almost an ever-present um, uh, uh, figure in my urological life. I first met him uh, as a final year medical student. He examined me in my final med exams. And when I was examining a hernia uh, on a man very poorly, he took my hand off the man's scrotum and put it onto his groin. And I said, and said to me, I think we'd all be much more comfortable if you started the examination here, doctor. Uh, so I went from being a student uh, to, be, to working for him. And I worked for him for three years uh, and um, then to go on to be uh, a friend. And, um, and many other things as well. But John had an enormous international reputation. Um, and he did so because of a mixture of things. He was a great Renaissance man. He was incredibly well read. He was incredibly knowledgeable. He brought all those attributes to the British Journal of Urology International and brought great changes in that that has cemented its place as a, as a progressive journal. Uh, he was a wonderful operative surgeon. Uh, and was certainly one of the most deft that I have seen doing open radical prostatectomy and could do one in you know, under an hour uh, with very minimal blood loss. Uh, but I think his great attribute was his con conviviality and uh, his, his great fondness for people, especially people from outside of these shores. And he was immensely popular in the United States mm. and in Australia um, and opened many doors for myself, yourself, and many young Irish surgeons. And uh, I'm, I, I'm proud to say that he, he asked me personally to, when I was still a trainee, uh, to speak at his Feshrift. And uh, not only was I not, not um, I was the only person speaking who did not have the title uh, Mr. as consultant. I was the only person speaking who didn't have the title Professor. Uh, so uh, I was very, very proud of that moment. Uh, and I'm very proud to have called him a, a mentor and a friend. And, and, and I, he was taken far too early. He from was, us. and it was very sudden, wasn't it? I remember just it was just before the AUA one year, and he was in his, only in his late 60s, yeah. uh, having just stepped down as BJI editor. But you know, he had a lot more to give, didn't he? It was a huge shock. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, yes, yeah. he was involved. He'd, he'd started uh, really putting his 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 great motivation behind the Irish Cancer Society, and I think. They were a little concerned about uh, this change of tack of how much they were going to have to do. And then, yes, as you say, uh, uh, died suddenly. Um, and of course, he, he was instrumental in me meeting one of the other great Irish urologists, although a few generations out, Tony Costello. And we have other expats. Uh, Patrick Walsh is very strong about his Irish heritage. And even if we go back through history, uh, uh, um, uh, Dr. Foley of the Foley catheter uh, is a... Uh, probably an Irishman. I think we're definitely going to claim him. And an interesting story about him, he developed his catheter and then um, someone else patented it uh, from, a, from a rubber company. And there was a big court case and Foley got the patent back and then lost it again. So although it's called a Foley catheter, 
he never received a cent for, uh, for anything from the patent for the Foley catheter. But yes, I think John would have to stand uh, again amongst, uh, in the pantheon, as you say, of, of great Irish urologists for just the way he, he uh, interacted with people and how much fondness that they had for him. And if you said you knew John Fitzpatrick, almost every urologist in the world would say, oh, well then welcome to my unit. And, uh, and well, fantastic, Dave. Thank you very much for that quick run through. I'm sure you could keep going on. The list would go on and on, but we'll stop you there. And, uh, and it's great. To hear. And, and Fitzpatrick, of course, had a, has an eponymous meeting named after him now, the John Fitzpatrick Congress, which I know many listeners and viewers have been to as uh, international KOLs, which is great to see as well. So thanks very much. Thank you, Declan. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to talk about this very interesting subject. I think it's important that we know about the history of, of people because uh, it, makes, it makes things more interesting. It, make, it brings it to life. And especially if you know these little stories and little anecdotes, uh, you can imagine them uh, sitting around uh, um, over a beer or a port or whatever, uh, discussing how to improve urology and urological science. The academic programme of the Irish Society of Urology is delivered over two days. As you might expect from a national meeting like this, the programme consists of a mixture of original research presented by local trainees, along with invited lectures from international guests and some special sessions. President of the Irish Society of Urology, another old mate, Kieran O'Malley from the Matter Hospital in Dublin, did a terrific job pulling together this very entertaining and interesting programme. This year, the Irish Society of Urology remembered legendary urologist Mr. Dan Kelly, who passed away last year. Dan was a true giant of Irish urology, reigning for many decades at St. Vincent's Hospital in Dublin. A memorial lecture was introduced by his colleague, Mr. David Quinlan, and delivered by Miss Dilly Little, consultant urologist at Beaumont Hospital in Dublin, Dilly regaled us with some classic Dan Kelly stories in front of members of his family who joined a packed audience at the ISU meeting. And at that time, patients coming to theatre in St. Vincent's actually came to a barrier at the door, and then they were passed across the barrier using a stretcher with poles, and then they went into a holding bay. And they lay in the holding bay, clutching a slip of paper that actually said what theatre they were designated to go to. Mr. Kelly, he saw a patient to get his patients down to theatre, but he used to go down to the holding bay and he'd line up all the trolleys one in front of the other and then he'd push on the back <laughs> for the trolleys and he'd manage to negotiate even the corner. And many an action faced patient clutching his slip of paper who would try to dismount from this urology train as he recognised that he mightn't actually have been en route to the urology. <laughs> Then on arriving into the actual urology operating table, onto the table, the anaesthetist had to be quick to actually get the ET tube into the patient as Dan pulled the legs down to position the patient. <laughs> Truly, he was a legend in his time, bearing all the hallmarks of the measure of a great man. There were academic highlights aplenty at this year's meeting, too many to mention individually. I was struck by the breadth and diversity of topics presented by many talented trainees, 
spanning everything from complex penile cancer to the impact of adverse events on trainees. A couple of posters looking at gender diversity in Irish urology also caught my eye and I was very impressed to see the considerable progress that has been made in this area. Invited lectures were delivered by UK urologists Mr Paul Anderson and Miss Tamsin Greenwell and their colleagues BOUSE President Miss Joe Creswell and EAU Secretary General Chris Chappell. And of course, very importantly, thinking of the next generation. As you might expect, the Irish are quite good at doing social events. The annual dinner at Killashee House was very enjoyable and I got to sit down for a few minutes with another old mate of mine, Mr Richie Power, consultant urologist at Bowman Hospital. So Richie, you and I go back a long way. Richie Power is a consultant urologist uh, in, here in Dublin at Bowman Hospital, but we, uh, we do track back to, uh, a long we way, don't we? Back, like, you know, I came across Declan, I suppose, when we uh, were working as SHOs and then went into research with uh, the late John Fitzpatrick. Uh, where I, I suppose where myself and Declan competed, first of all, was actually on the uh, go-karting tracks out in Kylemore in uh, Ballyfermot in uh, West Dublin. And uh, we were competing against a certain uh, Miss Norma Gibbons, who's now a urologist in, uh, in London, who held a title that year. And uh, it was up to one of us to de dethrone the great Norma Gibbons and the go-karting track. But uh, following on from that... Um, oh, but, but who, who, who won? Norma? Or you? I don't recall. Declan doesn't recall. I took the throne. I took the okay, I wouldn't be telling the story otherwise. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, following on from that, I suppose, uh, Pat separated. Declan went to London. I stayed in Dublin. And uh, we've remained in contact, meeting up at Bouse meetings, meeting up internationally at meetings. But uh, Declan has gone on to, obviously, uh, spectacular... Uh, things, uh, especially in the whole social media thing, and that's where I've come across the GU cast, and uh, yeah. It's, it's good to hear that, so if you uh, had suggestions for creating content for this type of thing when you're out with the dog or you're out exercising or on the way to work, what sort of things do you think we should be lining up on podcasts like this? Uh, I suppose it's, it's, a G, it's an oncology team. Yeah. Uh, you have diversified away from the dreaded prostate topic. Uh, only last week I was listening to the one on radiation treatment for renal cancer, uh, which is fantastically informative because I uh, like things like that uh, interest us all, even if we're not involved in that specific area, because we all come across patients at times that I have a transplant recipient at the moment with a tumor in their transplant kidney, and I'm thinking they ain't suitable actually for surgery maybe radiation treatment so this is something that I took on board so diversifying the podcast to other GU malignancies is a fantastic uh, step forward I don't know whether people would uh, be interested in uh, moving it out from the oncology forum but from a personal bias point of view I think keep it niche keep it within oncology and uh, but diversify within the spectrum maybe a bit on penile maybe a bit on uh, more on bladder and uh, etc but yeah fantastic thank you Richie so I've managed to track down two fantastic 
female urologist, two of my favorite friends from urology in Ireland, Dr. Eva Bolton and Dr. Catherine Dowling. Eva and Catherine, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Declan. Uh, pleasure, to, pleasure to talk to you and yeah. pleasure to take part in this. Yeah, thanks for inviting us to talk. No problem. So the reason I uh, want to speak to these two fantastic ladies, let me give you a bit of background first, is Eva is a consultant urologist at Imperial College NHS Trust in London, uh, and Catherine is a consultant urologist in my old hometown at University College, what do we call it nowadays? They, so keep, the they, keep, on, they keep on rebranding, so the, the latest rebranding is Galway University Hospital. Okay, Galway University Hospital. Yep. So we have two fantastic young urologists, a lot younger than me clearly, um, and today here at the ISU we had a great poster session and I know you were both very interested in it and there were a couple of posters that we will highlight uh, in the podcast that I want to get your thoughts on. The first poster uh, looked back at the proportion of female speakers and female chairs at Irish Society of Urology meetings in the past, and it was pretty stark, Catherine, wasn't it? It was, it was. And I remember, say, uh, rewind 10 years ago uh, when I was an SPR, and uh, there, there were three of us, there were three female SPRs. So to fast forward now to see 50% of trainees female and to see such talent in the room, it's just, it's mind-blowing, absolutely inspiring. Yeah, and that poster showed that more than 50% of current trainees are female. But the problem, Eva, was the other poster showed that when we looked at the proportion of female chairs and female speakers, it was shocking. It was like 5 or 6%. There was, a, was there an eight-year period when there was not a single not. female chair at this uh, you know, national meeting? Um, so I suppose that was a little bit of a historic look back, but you know, we wrote a paper about this last year in European Urology about so-called manals in urology. So it was important to see the data there that if you look back at this meeting, that over the years there's been shockingly low uh, representation, but maybe it's been because there haven't been a lot of uh, female urologists. Uh, yeah, I fully agree. And I mean, I remember when I started out as a surgical trainee, I thought urology was uh, a male a specialist for males. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I, luckily I worked with Catherine when I was an intern in Galway and uh, she has been my inspiration mm. to, to go on and pursue a career in urology. So I think, thankfully, when you look around the room and you see lots of female trainees and now young female consultants, then hopefully the, the panels next year will have lots of women on them. And I think even today, you know, Joe Cresswell, Tamsin Greenwell, yeah. we've been out yeah. in force. Lisa Smith here. Yeah, Lisa because Smith, it's different yeah. this year. Clearly, you can exactly. see that it's already changing, isn't it? And of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are a lot of young female trainees. But Catherine, you know, what are the other things we can do to attract fantastic young women to do this specialty because I think that's one of our most important themes is it's competitive out there smart young women uh, want to go into professions that they're going to feel attracted towards absolutely and you hear it every day you hear medical students say oh you know I'd love to do it I think it's too hard I, you know I heard this great quote years ago I think it was from a vascular surgeon in the UK you cannot be what you cannot see mm. so if a medical student sees female consultants around it's the norm they go look I can do that too I can be a, a urologist I can be a vascular surgeon. So I think it's really important that we're, we're present. We accept invitations to chair sessions. If I can't chair a session, I nominate and I say, please ask my colleague, Eva Bolton, who might actually do yes. it. And I think it's really important not only to mentor, but to sort of bring people up with you. Create really, those really opportunities. Important. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, I've had a, a, a female medical student who's been with me now for the last six weeks. And at the end of it all, she said, you know, I thought I could never be a surgeon. And now I think it's possible. So it's, it's great to see. And she wants she to do can, urology. She yeah. also wants yeah, to do yeah, urology. And <laughs> in particular, the robot absolutely yeah. fascinated her because she said the only time she's ever seen operations on the robot, it's all been by males. Yeah. So, Brilliant. you know, I, I feel like I've, I've managed to influence her in a short space of time as well. So it's great. And here we are with two fantastic robotic surgeons as well and congratulations on the work you showed today actually robotic uh, cystectomies and everything's mm. fantastic look great so let's hope many of our listeners and viewers out there are young urologists young females who are attracted towards this great specialty by having role models you can look up to great. so thank you very much okay thanks Declan thank you Declan thank you yeah. So that's all we have time for here on this very special Irish episode of GU Cast. I hope that you enjoyed it and you didn't mind me wallowing in my Irishness for this episode. I must say it was very nice to be back here, meeting up with old friends and meeting lots of new people, the youth, the future of Irish urology. Overall, I was so impressed with the breadth and the depth of urological expertise on show here at the Irish Society of Urology meeting compared to when I was last here 20 plus years ago. I must say the urological community here have inspired me. I think seeing young people, a very diverse community, a very balanced community, being so active in research and in developing new techniques to improve outcomes for our patients is something that makes me feel very proud and very confident in what the future holds for Irish urology. And I do hope that you enjoyed seeing some scenes from here in Ireland, this beautiful country. If you haven't visited, put it on your list. Come and visit and come and look up Irish urologists. The urology community here are very active and very welcoming. Everything from uh, doctors to nurses to allied health professionals and researchers. It's a great community. Come and spend time here. You'll be enriched and you'll be much the better for it. Take care.